Thank you for tuning in to Dream City Omaha Online. We hope you like this message and that it has an impact on your life. Don't forget to like and subscribe for more. Buenos dias. How's everybody doing today? It's good to see you. Uh, Huskers won, so is everybody in a better mood this Sunday than we were last Sunday? And just, I'm just trying to get a, a feel for the temperature of the room before we get into God's Word. Uh, a couple of things I want to, to mention before we, before we get into the Word this morning. A uh, lot going on. September is, is usually, it's like September and then Easter time are usually like the two busiest times of the year here, just because all the, in the fall, everything's starting off again. And so I uh, want to remind you that discipleship classes start this Wednesday. If you haven't signed up, there are just a couple of spots left available. So I would encourage you, uh, get on the app, sign up for that. And then CityServe. Uh, City service coming up in a couple of weeks, and, and it's not just us, it's not just Dream City, but it's the big C Church of Omaha. There's like 40 different churches that have, have come together, and during this week, our goal is just to unleash unprecedented generosity and compassion on our city as we go out as the hands and feet of Jesus and love our community in a, in a real and a tangible way. And so on our app, there are different things that you can sign up for, different projects that we're going to be a part of. would encourage you to, to sign up for those as well. If you missed anything in the buzz, if you missed any of the announcements, you can check the website, check the app. Uh, it's all in there for you today. Are you ready to get into God's Word this morning? Amen. In our, in our reading plan, for those of you that are just joining us, whether you're here in person or you're watching online, uh, if you're just joining us, we've been reading through the Bible chronologically together. We've got, we've got three more weeks until we get to the New Testament. So Jesus is coming. Uh, the angels have proclaimed that he's going to be born, and we're just waiting for that day to come. But October 1st, we'll get into the New Testament, but between now and then, we're going to, to finish up. We, we started the book of Ezekiel. We're going to finish up Ezekiel, and then we're going we're gonna to rapidly make our way through the, the minor prophets, and then we're going to get to the New Testament. But this week in our reading plan, we've been reading from the book of Ezekiel. How many of you have enjoyed your reading this week? <laughs> That's kind of about the response that I was anticipating. There's like a hand that goes up because it's like, well, I feel like I should put my hand up because I should enjoy reading the Bible. But as I read it this week, there was just a lot going on and it was really heavy and just a lot of judgment and proclamations of God's wrath that is going to come. And I read that and it's just like, oh. how many of you enjoyed your reading this week? <laughs> It's one, of those, it's one of those sections of scripture that, 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 you know, as we read through Jeremiah, we see the emotion and we see the heart of God and the heart of Jeremiah as Jeremiah oftentimes cried out for his people. Ezekiel is, is not, maybe not as empathetic as, uh, as Jeremiah is. Um, and Ezekiel, what, what he does in his prophecy and in his his, his ministry as a prophet and the way that God uses Ezekiel is different because up until this point, it's been tell Israel this, tell Israel that, tell Judah this, tell the people, here's what the Lord is saying. And so his prophets would go and say, this is what God is saying. And at this point in history, God is just fed up and he's like, okay, well, if they're not going to listen to my words, then let's, let's, use, let's use objects and, and illustrations to try and give them an image of what I'm trying to say. And so as you read through Ezekiel, keep that, keep that in mind. And, and we're, we're just getting to the point in the book where hope is coming. I just want to, to just give that to you as you're reading this week. 
As you look at the book of Ezekiel, chapters 1 through 11 really are God coming and bringing charges against, uh, against Judah and against Israel. So there's 11 chapters of God basically saying, here's what you've done. Here's the wrongs that you've committed. Here's how you've rebelled. Here's how you've sinned and turned your backs. Chapters 12 through 24 is judgments against Judah. And because you've lived this way, here is what I'm going to do. Chapters 13 through or excuse me, 25 through like 33, 34 is, is judgments against surrounding nations. So now God's not just judging Judah for how they acted, but now he's judging the surrounding nations for how they've treated his people. And then we get to hope, and then there's, there's hope for Judah, and then there's hope for the world, and then there's hope for all of eternity. And so we're just getting to the hope chapters in Ezekiel. Don't quit. Don't give up. Uh, you're you're going to start reading about some of that stuff. But, uh, but today, as we get into to, to God's Word, Ezekiel chapter 1 is where we're going to spend the, the, the majority of our time jumping in and kind of setting a foundation, and then we will be borrowing from the New Testament today as well. But here's what the Bible says, Ezekiel chapter 1, beginning in verse number 1. The verses will be on the screens. I'm reading from the New Living Translation. It says that on July 31st of my 30th year, while I was with the Judean exiles beside the Kibar River in Babylon, the heavens were opened and I saw visions of God. This happened during the fifth year of King Jehoiachin's captivity, the Lord gave this message to Ezekiel, son of Buzi, a priest, not Buzi, but Buzi, a priest, beside the Kibar River in the land of the Babylonians, and he felt the hand of the Lord take hold of him. There's a lot going on, and, and maybe not at face value, in that, that brief opening, a lot of context that we are given. We we see Ezekiel sitting on the banks of a river in captivity. So when, when Nebuchadnezzar came over, remember, he didn't just come over one time. He came over three times and laid siege to Jerusalem, took back captives, and then the third time ended up destroying the city, destroyed the temple, destroyed the city walls. But we see Ezekiel has been brought back among those captives to live in Babylon. It also tells us that his father was a priest, which means that Ezekiel would have been a priest, but he's been in captivity now for how long? He's been there for five years. And so because he's been there for five years, that tells us that if he's 30 now, how old was he when he was taken into captivity? All you math majors out there, 25 years old, he's taken into captivity as, as one who is in the line or the descendants of the tribe of Levi who would one day become a priest. His dad was a priest, his cousins were probably priests, his uncles were priests, and here he was, a young man who all he's looked forward to his entire life has been to serve the Lord in the capacity and the ministry of a priest. And yet at 25, Nebuchadnezzar comes, takes him back. Here he is sitting at 30 years old on the banks of the river in Babylon, which is so significant because do you know what would happen at 30 years old? Those who were to be priests would be instituted as a priest at the age of 30. So here he is supposed to be back home serving the Lord as a priest. This was supposed to be his best year ever. And yet he finds himself sitting on the banks of the river living in captivity. He's called by God and God comes and he, he gives a vision to Ezekiel and then he, he tells Ezekiel to go as, as his prophet to those who are living in exile and at times those who are still back 
in, in Jerusalem. But Ezekiel, Ezekiel had it tough. Like it's very easy to come into a church on Sunday and see Pastor John on a Sunday and Pastor Renee, Pastor Andre, Pastor Dobie, and it's like, oh man, I wonder what that would be like. I grew up around ministry. I grew up a pastor's kid. My earliest memories are, are sleeping underneath the front row at four hour long camp meeting services. Like that's just how I grew up. And if you know my dad, you know that that's true. But that's just how I, how I grew up. And I grew up with a lot of people who were in ministry that were great role models for me to look to and, and follow in their footsteps. But I'll, I'll tell you this, if Jeremiah and Ezekiel were my role models of what ministry looked like, there's no way I would have gone into full-time ministry. Seriously, God, God asks Ezekiel to do some hard stuff. We see in chapter four, God comes to Ezekiel and says, here's what I want you to do, Zeke. I want you to tie yourself up and I want you to, to, to bind yourself and then lay on one side one day for every year that Israel has rebelled against me. Okay, God, one day for every year. That's correct. How many years did Israel rebel against you? 390 years. You tie myself up, lay on my side for 390 days. Yes, that's correct. Why? Because it's going to be a sign to, to Israel. And then, and then after you've done that, I want you to lay on your other side for every year that Judah rebelled against me. Okay, how long was that, God? 40 years. You want me to lay there for four? Yes, 430 days he tied himself up and laid there on his side. You ask, well, what did he eat? It's the worst part of it all. Because God tells Ezekiel, here's what I want you to eat. I want you to eat a cake of bread every day. But I want you to, to cook this bread over a fire. Okay, so, so we want barbecue. And, and what, what do you want me to smoke this bread with? He goes, here's what I want you to use as fuel for your fire. I want you to use human. I know some of us don't like the word, so I'll, I'll say dung. I want you to use human dung to, to be the source and the, the, the fuel for this fire, and above this fire, like, next time you smoke meat, fellas, imagine the bark on that bread. And Ezekiel looks at God, and he goes to God, he's like, God, really? Same way you and I would? Like, God... I, I've never been defiled. I grew up in the priestly line. My, my, I've, I've kept myself clean. I've never touched anything. I've never, and you want me to do this? And God says, okay, that's a little far. You cow, use cow poop instead. <laughs> and so for 430 days, he has to take cow dung and cook himself a little cake of bread and eat that. Why? As a sign of how Israel has defiled themselves and how they will be defiled. God is using images and pictures and illustrations to communicate to those who are living in captivity and those who are still back in the land being rebellious because if they aren't understanding the words that I'm saying to them, maybe they'll get it when I give them a picture. Ezekiel was, was asked to do some crazy stuff. And if you read it this week, then you know what I'm talking about. But as we, as we continue in chapter one, we see this vision that's given to Ezekiel, it says that the Lord took hold of him. In verse four, he says, I looked and I saw a great storm coming from the north, driving before it a huge cloud that flashed with lightning and shone with brilliant light. 
There was fire inside the cloud, and in the middle of the fire glowed something like gleaming amber. From the center of the cloud came four living beings that looked human, except that each had four faces and four wings. Now, there are some people who say that they've seen angels, and it was the most beautiful thing. Listen, every time I read about angels showing up in the Bible, it is terrifying. Like, there's a reason why, why Gabriel had to tell Mary, don't be afraid, don't be afraid, it's okay. They're terrifyingly, just the description of them. From the center of the cloud came four living beings that looked human, except that each had four faces and four wings, and their legs were straight, and their feet had hooves like those of a calf and shone like burnished bronze. Under each of their four wings, I could see human hands. So each of the four beings had four faces and four wings. And the wings of each living being touched the wings of the being beside it. Each one moved straight forward in any direction without turning. Verse 10, each had a human face in the front, the face of a lion on the right side, the face of an ox on the left side, and the face of an eagle at the back. Face of a human in the front, the face of a lion on the right, the face of an ox on the left, and the face of an eagle at the back. Some interesting imagery for sure. Put yourself in Ezekiel's position. You see this, you see this vision, you see this storm cloud approaching, and all you Nebraskans, you see a storm cloud, you run out and you look at it. Tornado sirens start going off, you jump on your roof to see where this thing's at. You know what I'm talking about. He sees this storm cloud approaching, so he goes out to, to look at it, and there's this fire on the inside, and it's, it's gleaming amber, and from this fire comes these four creatures with wings touching on either side, and these creatures looked human. They had human halves, but they, they had hooves for, for feet, and as he looked at their faces, he noticed that each being had four different faces. Like, what is going on? He hadn't even eaten the poop bread yet, so we know that's not what it was. And he's like, what's, what's going on? What is happening here? And this morning as we look at this, as we look at this text, we have to understand that as with everything in God's word, it's, it's revealing God's heart and his character. And as with everything in the Old Testament, it's pointing to Jesus in some way, but, but we can read that and it's like, that makes no sense to me. I get absolutely nothing from that. There's nothing that I can draw from that. I'm not Ezekiel. I wasn't there. I just don't get it. This morning, I want us to look at the four faces. I want us to look at the four faces and, and ask the question, what does that mean? And as we borrow from the New Testament today, I think it's important because in the, in the New Testament, we see, we see a little bit about what these faces mean. Say, well, what is, how, how is that possible? How many gospels are in the New Testament? Four gospels. So there's four gospels in the New Testament. How many faces were on these beings? Four, four faces, four gospels, and I would present to you that each of the gospels gives a little bit of a picture or detail into what each of these four faces represent and revealing who God is and revealing his character and revealing his, his majesty and revealing how we are to view God. The gospels will give us a, a better picture of what that looks like. But as, as we get into it today, the first face that I want us to look at is the face of the lion. Now, what does a lion symbolize? What does it represent? If I were to ask you, what does a lion mean to you? What would you say? Power, strength. How about courage? All of you Wizard of Oz fans. 
the cowardly lion. We talk about courage. But, but, but we have to take ourselves from 2022 and put it thousands of years ago and understand what the lion symbolized then. And even all the way up until today, the lion throughout history has always been a symbol of royalty. When we look at the lion, the lion shows us the, the royalty of God. You look back as far as ancient Assyria, there are lions, there are lions in their, in their works. You look at the, the seal for the British monarchy, there's a, there's a lion roaring. Why? Because the lion is the king of the jungle and it's a symbol of royalty. Okay, well, where do we see that in the gospels? We see it very clearly in the gospel of Matthew. Because Matthew came and Matthew writes his gospel to a Jewish audience and Matthew is, is very, he's very clear to tell them from the very beginning of his book that Jesus came as the king. He came as one who was royal. He came as the Messiah. He came from the line of King David, Matthew chapter one, verse one. This is a record of the ancestors of Jesus who is the Messiah. He is the one. He is the royal one. He's a descendant of David. So he's not just royal in heaven, but he also has a claim to, to royalty here on earth. At this point in history, they have been without a king for about 400 years. And Matthew is telling this, Jew, this Jewish audience that if, if there was somebody walking today who had a claim to the throne of Israel, it would be Jesus because of his ancestry. Very clear, and he, he communicates the fact that, that Jesus was royalty. Matthew's genealogy points in that way. Matthew chapter two, we're, we're, this is the only gospel we're given the story of the three wise men who, who came to see Jesus and came to worship him. And when they show up in Israel, what do they ask? They ask in Matthew chapter two, where is the newborn what? King of the Jews. Again, painting the picture and telling the royalty of Jesus. We see it in Matthew chapter one. We see it in Matthew chapter two. We see constantly this, this imagery of Jesus as Messiah, Jesus as King. But it's not just how Matthew paints Jesus, but it's also what Matthew tells us that Jesus talked about. In the gospel of Matthew, the, the kingdom of heaven is, is taught more in Matthew than in any other of the gospel accounts. There are more references to Jesus mentioning the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven in Matthew than, than any other book. Matthew chapter 3, he, he's, he's teaching and he says, repent of your sins and turn to God. Why? Because the kingdom of heaven is near. Why? Because Jesus is a lion. He is royalty. He is the one who came to, to establish God's kingdom. He is the, the Messiah. He is the King of kings. He is the Lord of lords. And when we look at God, when we, when we think about who he is and his character, we have to remember that he is a king. He is a king. Is he the king of your life? Is he the Lord of all? We can sing songs like, you reign above it all, you reign above it all. But does he reign in your home? Does he reign in your heart? He should. Why? Because he's the lion. Because he is the king. See, we don't live under, under kings today. It's hard for us to, to comprehend what that 
what that means, because we think of kings as dictators. We think of kings as the ones who are, who are taxing the people, and they're the ones who are instituting the laws on people, and they're the ones who are robbing from people. But, but that wasn't the, the king's responsibility. Yes, as, 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 as power corrupted people, that's what it turned into. But do you know the king's primary objective, the, the primary role of every king is to protect his people? That's his number one job is to protect his people. When a foreign army would invade, he would bring them within the city walls. And if they breached the city walls, he would bring them into the castle. Why? Because it's his duty, it's his responsibility, it's his number one objective to protect his people. God is your king. And if you submit yourself to his kingship, then the promise is that there is protection that comes with that. In Matthew, we see the lion, we see the royalty of Jesus. The next image that I want us to look at, the next face I want us to look at is the face of the ox. Now, the, the, the word ox could be translated bull, it could be translated cow, it is a bovine creature, okay? So, so today, if we were to write it, we would probably say a bull. When you think about bulls, when you think about cows, what do you think about? Food, come on. I think about a T-bone steak. I think about a nice tender filet. I think, of, I think about milk. What, what, what do you think about when you think about bulls, cows, ox? What does that mean to you? It means work. That's exactly what it means. See, today we, we think about cows in terms of what they produce for us in terms of meat, milk, and otherwise. But back in the day, did you know that when they looked at a cow, they didn't look at a cow as a hamburger? They didn't, butcher, they didn't butcher their cows for their meat. They didn't use their cows to produce milk in very rare situations and circumstances. They did. But typically, that's what they had sheep for. They would use sheep for the meat. They would use sheep and, and, and use, use goat's milk. But the, the reason that the ox was so important in that society is because the ox is how you got work done. The ox was the one that you hooked the plow to. The ox was the one that, that would plow through that field and help you plant in the springtime. The ox was the one who at harvest season, you would throw the, the grain out on the threshing floor and, and walk the ox back and forth to separate the wheat from the stalks. The ox, if, if you didn't have an ox or your neighbor didn't have an ox that you could borrow or your cousin didn't have an ox, you, you were left with nothing. There was no way for you to get work done, no way for you to build a house, no way for you to, 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 to plant your field. There was no way for you to do it on your own because the ox is a symbol of a servant. When we look at Matthew, we see in Matthew that Jesus is the king. When we look in the gospel of Mark, we see that Jesus is the servant. Mark chapter 10, Jesus himself said, the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus didn't come to be served. He could have came and God could have sent him to, 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 to a royal house, to a palace. He could have sent him to Rome to be the emperor, to be Caesar, but he, he didn't. Why? Because that's not why he came. He came to serve, to be a picture of the ox. In Matthew, we are told that there are more accounts of the kingdom being talked about than any other gospel. Do you know what happens in Mark more than any other gospel? There are more miracles recorded that Jesus did in the gospel of Mark than in any other gospel. 
There are more instances of Jesus stopping and helping hurting people in the gospel of Mark than any other gospel. Why? Because he's a servant. There are more instances of the the lame being able to to walk and the blind being able to see and the hungry being fed and the deaf receiving their, their hearing. Why? Because Jesus came to serve. Matthew chapter one, because Jesus is king, Matthew had to tell us that he came from King David. His genealogy takes it all the way back to Abraham to show the kingly royal line that Jesus came from. Do you know what the genealogy of Mark shows us? It's a trick question because there is no genealogy in Mark. Why is there no genealogy? The three other gospels have genealogies of Jesus. Why does Mark leave out the genealogy of Jesus? Mark doesn't start with here's where Jesus came from. Why? Because nobody cares where servants come from. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what line the servant comes from. It doesn't matter who a servant's dad is. It doesn't matter who a servant's grandpa was. It doesn't matter what what lineage a servant has. Why? Because they're just here to serve. Mark doesn't waste time telling you where Jesus came from, but but he shows you what Jesus came to do. And that was very clearly demonstrated that Jesus came to serve. The third image we see is the image of the man. Now, this is pretty self-explanatory. I don't have to ask you what what does a man mean to you. But the man is a symbol of humanity. As we look at Jesus, we, we see Jesus as king. We see Jesus as servant. But the third face is this face of a man, and it, it points to Jesus's humanity. Okay, well, where do we see that? We've covered Matthew. We've covered Mark, is this Luke or is this John? What would you say? It's Luke. The gospel, it's actually the gospel of Luke. The gospel of Luke was written by Luke, who was a doctor, was written to a Greek audience. So Luke's focus through the gospel of Luke is to focus on the humanity and the human side of Jesus. Luke's genealogy, Matthew's goes back to Abram and it talks about King David. Mark doesn't give us one because Jesus is a servant. Luke's genealogy doesn't just go to Abraham and it doesn't just, doesn't just go to David. It goes all the way back to Adam, who was the first man, to show the humanity of Jesus. Jesus, Jesus oftentimes in Luke's gospel is referred to as the son of man. We see in Luke this image and this picture of Jesus as in a focus on his humanity. Luke chapter 1 and chapter 2, we see the announcement of Jesus's birth and the details of his conception is told by the angel to his mother Mary. In Luke, we are given more details about Jesus growing up than any of the other gospels. The other gospels start with Jesus at 30 years old when his ministry began and he, he's, he's, he's baptized by John the Baptist. But Luke tells us about Mary and Joseph bringing him and presenting him at the temple. Luke chapter 2 tells us about how that, that Jesus was left in Jerusalem at 12 years old and his mother comes back and can't find Find him because he's like the little kid that runs away in Walmart and now you have to use the pager system and, and it's embarrassing because now the whole store knows that you're looking for your kid because you lost him. That was Mary in Jerusalem paging Jesus. Where is Jesus? They find him in the temple sitting with rabbis and teachers and Mary comes and she says, don't you know that we've been looking for you? Why have you done this? Why have you treated us this way? You, you knew we were leaving and yet you stayed here. And he looks at her and he says, I must be about my father's business. 
See, in Luke, we are given images and pictures and stories about Jesus growing up. We don't see that anywhere else. In Mark, we see more instances of Jesus serving and Jesus healing and more miracles. In Matthew, we see more instances of Jesus teaching and proclaiming the kingdom of God. In Luke, do you know what we see the most of in Luke? More more times mentioned in Luke than any of the other gospels, we see Jesus pray. Father, I need you. Father, what do you want me to do? Because in his humanity, he needed communication with his father. Think about it. If you're Jesus, you're you're in heaven. You're in the heavenly realms with the father sitting at his right hand. The throne is right there. The Bible says you, you step out of eternity. You step out of heaven. Come to earth. Put on the form of a servant. Yeah, what do you want me to do? In his humanity, he spent more time praying in the gospel of Luke than any other gospel. The humanity of Jesus is is a vital aspect of the gospel because the Bible says that through one man's sin entered the world. Romans chapter 5, go ahead and put that verse up. For the sin of this one man, Adam, caused death to rule over many, but Even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of righteousness for all who receive it will live in triumph over sin and death through this one man, Jesus Christ. Because one man caused sin to enter the world, Jesus put on humanity so that as man, he could live and walk a perfect life and and rightfully be able to take upon himself the penalty of sin for all of humanity. When we look at the face of the man, we see the humanity of Jesus. The fourth face that we see in this story is the face of an eagle. All right, all you Americans, what does an eagle, what does an eagle mean to you? Freedom, freedom. It means freedom. It means liberty. Spoken like true Americans, absolutely. And it does mean freedom, and it does mean liberty. And to us as the, the, the national bird, when we see an eagle, that is what it should remind us of. But understand that Ezekiel was not an American. <laughs> Ezekiel was not sitting on the banks of the Missouri River. He was not, he was not in captivity in Iowa, living in exile. He was in Babylon. So what did an eagle mean to them? What, is, what, what, is, what does an eagle represent? Have you ever seen an eagle? How many guys have ever seen an eagle? Have you ever seen an eagle up close? And I'm not talking about like the caged eagle at the, the wildlife park out by Mahoney where you can walk through and it's like, oh, look, it's right there. I'm talking about in the wild up close with an eagle. Anybody? couple of you. I remember there's one time we were in Alaska. I was in Alaska with my dad and we were fishing on this river. And as we're fishing on this river, we heard this sound and looked over and there was an eagle that had landed literally from me to Carl and he was just sitting on the beach on the banks of this river and he was eating a fish and like I couldn't focus on what I was doing like there's an eagle eating a fish in Alaska right there. And I said, looked at my dad and he's like, yeah, 
He said, see how close you can get. <laughs> you ever seen the talons on these things? The chickens have large talons. <laughs> and so, so I started. And he would look at me, and I'd just stand still and wait for him to look away, and I'd take another step. And take another step. And I got, I kid you not, I got to probably 20 feet of this eagle. And he's just sitting there, he's just eating his fish, and I'm just standing there holding my fishing pole like, this is the coolest thing ever. And I got like 20 feet away from him, and then finally he just, whoo, and took off. And I watched him as he circled and circled and circled and flew and flew and flew until he was out of sight. And I was so in awe. In that moment, I remember one time I went to Walmart. I'm going from Alaska to Walmart. Honestly, just stay with me. <laughs> stay with me. One time I was at Walmart, and I was at Walmart on 180th and Center. Have you guys been, anybody ever been to that Walmart out, out there? 180th and Center. I park in the parking lot. I'm walking into Walmart, and all I hear is, Eagle! Eagle! And I'm like, what the heck is going on? And so I start looking around. There's this lady standing in the middle of the Walmart parking lot, just pointing in the sky and saying, eagle, eagle. And like she's announcing it to all of Omaha that there is an eagle flying over 180 in the center right now. And I just looked at her and looked at her and I was like, yeah, that's an eagle. And then I walked into Walmart. But, but she was in awe. I was in awe. When you, when you see an eagle... You can't help but be in awe. And it even means less to us today because we can jump on a plane and we can fly and we understand and we know, but, but put yourself 3,000 years ago when they see an eagle soaring and swooping down and taking its prey and just up into the clouds, up into the heavens. What does that mean to them? What do they think of when they see an eagle? They don't think about freedom and they don't think about liberty and justice for all. When they, when they see an eagle, they think of majesty. Just majestic. What does majesty mean? It means com, uh, totally supreme, completely supreme. It's majesty, it's transcendence, it's it's above all. It's the, the fact that there is none that can compare. There is no bird that can compare to an eagle because the eagle flies above the rest of them. There is, there is none that, that, that we could bring and we can compare in contrast because the eagle stands above the rest. And, and the face of the eagle represents the fact that Jesus isn't just king, but he's the king of kings. And Jesus isn't just Lord, but he's the Lord of lords, because he is transcendent. He is above all. There is no other name by which we must be saved. There is no name like the name of Jesus. And we see that focus in the gospel of John, because in John's gospel, the focus is the fact that Jesus isn't the son of man, but Jesus is the son of God. There are a lot of men who have been born to other men, but there is only one that has ever walked the earth as the son of God, and that is Jesus. In Matthew chapter 1, we see his royalty because the, the, the genealogy gives us David. In Mark, we don't see genealogy because Jesus is servant. In Luke, the genealogy goes back to Adam because Jesus is man. Do you know what the genealogy in John looks like? 
John chapter one, verse one, here's the genealogy of Jesus. In the beginning was the word. And the word was with God and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. That is the genealogy of Jesus Christ as found in the gospel of John. In the beginning was the word. He was there from the very beginning. He wasn't just with God, but he is one with God. In John chapter seven, Jesus is praying for the disciples. He says, not just the 12 that I have now or the the 70, not not those, but I pray for, for anyone throughout time who will ever believe. And here's what Jesus prayed for you and me, that all of them may be one father, just as you are in me and I am in you. As you and I are one, let them be one. John's focus was the oneness of Jesus and the Father. We see that in the Gospel of John, this this image of the eagle, the majesty of Jesus, the transcendence, the the incomparability of Jesus, that there are none that, that come close. That is Jesus. And when we, when we see these four faces and when we think about the character of God and when we allow them to point us to Jesus, we should, we should have an accurate picture of who Christ is. He is the king. He is the one that I am called to submit and surrender my life to, to live not out on my own, but to live within the covering of his protection. He is a servant. He came willingly to lay down his life for me and for you. He was a human, so he understands what I go through. He knows how much it hurts when you experience pain or heartbreak or someone stabs you in the back as Judas did or the the loss of a loved one when Lazarus was in the tomb. Jesus, Jesus knows the pain that you feel. He can empathize with you. He, He was tempted as you were tempted. When you go to Jesus and you say, I'm just being tempted right now, I need he, it's not like he's like, wow, what's that? I wonder what that would be like. No, because he's walked it. He's lived it. And he lived it perfectly so that you could live victorious over it as well. We see the face of the eagle and there should be an awe-inspiring majesty. And when we look to him and when we think of him, our only response is to bow down on our face. Say, I'm not worthy. And yet you've been adopted. And as an adopted son or daughter, that means that now you are a co-heir with him. It's crazy to think about, but the, the eagle gives us this picture of majesty. We see these four faces in Ezekiel chapter one. We also see these four faces in Ezekiel chapter 10. He's given another image, and this time he's taken to Jerusalem, and he sees God's glory in the temple, and these these four beings come, and as God's glory leaves the temple, these beings transport God's glory out of the temple. It's not just Ezekiel chapter 1, and it's not just Ezekiel chapter 10, and it's not just in the four Gospels, but we're also given these four faces in Revelation. John the Revelator is given a a vision of the throne of God, and he says that around this throne there are these four beings, and the first of these living beings was a lion, the second was an ox, the third had a human face, and the fourth 
was like an eagle in flight. So we see these beings uh, around God's throne in Ezekiel in the vision and in Ezekiel 10 as God's presence and his glory leaves the temple. We see them in Revelation 4 around the throne room of God. We see them in the gospels, but may I, may I present to you that that's not the only place that we see them? If we go back further into the Old Testament, we see them in the wilderness. When God comes to Moses and he gives them the plans to build the tabernacle, what was the tabernacle? The tabernacle was the, the dwelling place of God. The Ark of the Covenant is the footstool where God's presence would rest. The vis visual manifestation of God's glory and his presence would rest right above the Ark of the Covenant because that was the, one translation is the footstool of God's throne. So the tabernacle is the dwelling place. God gave Moses instructions to build the tabernacle. And in Numbers chapter two, you will find that he gave very specific instructions on where the 12 tribes were to camp. He says, I want these three tribes to camp on the east side of the tabernacle, these three on the north, these three on the west, these three on the south. And, and, and they are all, are all to, 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 to camp under the banner of the tribe who is closest to the tabernacle. And as you read in Numbers chapter two, you will see that the, the four tribes that are closest to the tabernacle are Judah, Dan, Ephraim, and Reuben. So the, Judah, Dan, Ephraim, Reuben, and then there were other tribes that would camp outside, but they would all camp under the banners of these tribes. Now, it's not explicitly stated to us in scriptures, but there is ancient Jewish, or ancient Jewish historians who will tell us what the the symbol of these on these tribal banners were as they marched through the desert, everyone in this tribe would follow the, the banner and the image of their tribe. And it's not explicitly stated in text, but there are ancient historians and through Jewish rabbinical tradition, they, they tell us that Judah's banner, on Judah's banner was the image of a lion, on Dan's banner was the image of an eagle, on Ephraim's banner was the image of an ox, and on Reuben's banner there was an image of a man. And so when you understand that the tabernacle was, was a type, was a picture of the throne of God, when you see in Ezekiel chapter one, Ezekiel described God's throne coming through, coming through the clouds. When you look in Revelation chapter four and the throne of God surrounded by these four beings, every time you see the glory and the throne of God, you see these four images. You see a lion, you see an ox, you see a man, you see an eagle. Every time God's throne in his glory is seen in scripture, it's surrounded by these four images. Okay, what does that mean to us? Here's what it means to you. You are a transporter of God's glory. Your job is to be everywhere you go to manifest the kingdom and the glory of God. And if in the scriptures, every time we see God's glory and we see his throne, we see these images, then we need to make sure that our lives as distributors and as beacons of the glory of God are reflecting these four images as well. What does that mean? The lion, the the kingdom of God is, is everything that you do focused on bringing the kingdom to earth. Are you praying thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven? Or are you still living according to your own rules? Is he the king of your life or are you the king? 
the lion, we need to submit ourselves to his kingship. Servant, as he served, are you willing to step out and serve? Is your life marked by the image of the ox? Or when we talk about city serve, is it somebody else will do that? Somebody else can love on the community. Somebody else can take a day out of their week. Somebody else can make care packages. Somebody else can do that. Listen, there's a lot coming up and there are opportunities for you to make sure that your life is marked by all four of these images. The image of a servant, are you serving? Or when, when Melissa gets up and talks about the Connect team and, team and opportunities to serve, is it like, that's somebody else? Somebody else can hold the door for me on the way in. Somebody else can work with my kids in the back. Somebody else can serve with my teenager. Or are you willing to say, no, Jesus served, so I will serve? The face of a man, relationship. Jesus came so that we could be in relationship with him and be restored to relationship with the Father. Are you committed to relationship with him and are you committed to relationship with one another? To loving God and to loving people. Small groups are starting. It's funny how the chronological plan kind of like, okay, God, we're starting everything and you want us to do these things. And if, if we're going to bring your glory, then our lives have to be marked by these. And here's real opportunity for you to not just be a hearer, but to be a doer of the word. Are you committed to being in relationship? Are you in a small group? If not, Vince told you on the buzz, I'm telling you again, get in a small group. Find a community of people that you can do life with. And then finally, the eagle. It's majesty, it's transcendence, it's that there is none that can compare. Okay, well, what does that mean for me? Here's what it means for you. Are you doing everything and pursuing excellence in all that you do? Are you doing everything is unto the Lord? Let me come out to your car today and look at the floorboard of your car and I will tell you if your life is marked with the eagle or not. Well, I got Burger King wrappers in there from six weeks ago. Okay, well, it's time to knock that off. Why? Because you are bringing God's glory everywhere that you go. There should be a pursuit of excellence in everything that you do. Let me come check your room, young person. What does that look like? At work, at home, cutting the grass, all the little things. Do you do the little things well? Because that's, that's excellence. That's transcendence. Anybody can do the minimum. Anybody can do that, but only eagles will, will focus on the small things. Is your life marked by the eagle? Is your life marked by the ox and your willingness to serve? Is your life marked by the man and your willingness to be in relationship? Is your, mark, your life marked with the lion? surrendering and submitting to his kingship and to his lordship in your life. If not, today's the day. Don't leave this place without allowing God to speak into your heart, speak into your life, reveal anything that he needs to. God, if we're struggling in any of these areas, help us. Help us so that we can be transporters of your glory, ambassadors of your kingdom, lights that shine in dark places so that when people see us, like, I don't know what I saw, but it was different. Here's what it looked like, and I don't know what it means, but it's crazy. Lord, may we be those kind of people. Amen. Stand with me this morning. Lord, we thank you for your word. God, we thank you that as we study your word, even 
even as we look at Ezekiel and, and we ask at the very beginning, who's enjoying the reading? And it's like, oh, it was hard. There's a lot and it's, it's a lot of imagery and I don't really understand it or know what it means. But today, Lord, I, I, I pray that as we leave this place, we will have a better understanding of you, a better understanding of your, your character. Because these beings that were transporting your glory and transporting your throne and surrounding your throne in Revelation chapter four, singing, holy, 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 holy is the Lord God almighty. Night and day, they stand there and they declare your holiness. Lord, as those who in our lives are to be transporters of your glory and declaring your holiness, Lord, may we not just look at these images as some weird prophetic, I don't get it, I don't understand it, and therefore it has nothing to do with me. But Lord, today, as we, as we look at the life of Jesus, his life is marked by these four faces. And God, as those who are called to be transformed into your image, I pray that you would help us to make sure that our lives are marked by these four faces that we would be those surrendered and submitted to the lion of the tribe of Judah, co-heirs and royalty ourselves by being adopted into your family, willing to serve as Jesus served, not showing up any place as if somebody should serve us, but, but doing to the least of these, picking up our towel and washing feet. Lord, help us to commit not just to loving you, but to loving others. Lord, help us to do all things with excellence. Lord, we love you. We thank you. Go with us. Be with us this week. In Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. Amen. God bless you this morning, church. Love you guys. Prayer team, if you would, stick around. If you need prayer, if there's anything that you, uh, you'd like somebody to agree with you in prayer, our prayer team will be here to minister to you in that way. If not, be blessed. Have a great week, church. Here at Dream City Omaha, we're all about three things, helping each other discover Christ, recover identity, or uncover purpose. We hope that this message helps serve one of those three goals, and we encourage you to check out our past sermon series and online classes, no matter where you are in your walk with Christ.